is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. I wonder if it's dawned on Fox News watchers that all their idols have betrayed them. Will it disappoint them to know that the 2020 election wasn't really stolen and that the insurrection was all for naught? Will they see the error of the conspiratorial ways and suddenly wake the fuck up? Well, I doubt it, but after years of Republicans calling MSNBC and CNN fake news, it's no surprise to anyone with half a fucking brain that Fox News turns out to be the real fake. If you're a Trump voter and you suspect that this election was stolen, was rigged, you're onto something. The 2020 presidential election was not fair. No honest person would claim that it was fair. The Dominion software, I know that there were voting irregularities. Tell me about that. That's to put it mildly. Companies called Dominion voting. Dominion came under heavy fire after allegations that their machines caused thousands of votes in one Michigan county to be switched from Donald Trump to Joe Biden. In their defamation lawsuit, Dominion claims that, and I quote, Fox News employees deliberately amplified false claims that Dominion had changed votes in the 2020 election and that Fox provided a platform for guests like Sidney Powell and Rudy Colludi fucking Giuliani to make false and defamatory statements. What we are really dealing with here and uncovering more by the day is the massive influence of communist money. In one text revealed in the court filing, Tucker Carlson texted Laura Ingram saying, quote, Sidney Powell is lying. I caught her. It's insane. Ingram responded, quote, Sydney is a complete nut. No one will work with her. Ditto with Rudy, a reference to Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani and his post-election claims. There was a, a plan from a centralized place to execute these various acts of voter fraud. In other messages, Sean Hannity said Giuliani was, quote, acting like an insane person. Ingram described Giuliani as an idiot. Fox Corporation Thanks Chairman Rupert Murdoch. We still have freedom of speech said it was, quote, really bad that Giuliani was advising Trump. Text messages released during the most recent filing in the Dominion case against Fox News tells a cynical tale of deception that went straight to the top. Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingraham, and even Rupert Murdoch himself never believed, not for a fucking minute, that Donald J. Trump had actually won the 2020 election. Yet, they relentlessly sold their audience on the big lie like their ratings depended on it. And why did they do that? Because they did. You either tell them what they want to hear or risk losing them to Newsmax. I mean, God forbid, tell the truth or lose them to Newsmax. Tucker Carlson damn near destroyed our democracy for fucking ratings, for stupid fucking ratings. I mean, so what can you expect from a guy who tans his balls? I think this story is about the people at Fox lying. They know they're lying. They're busted only because they got dragged into court, as you said, Bill. And so it's actually really important because it shows that, yeah, the First Amendment should protect all kinds of ideas, opinions, everything. It doesn't protect a right to lie us into an insurrection, and that's what they're in trouble for. This is a level above. This is just different. I mean, this is, you're getting caught, I mean, the tweet, I love it. He also gives the motive. The stock price is going down. And, and, Sean, and Sean Hannity, in a deposition, admitted he never believed any of Trump's lies for a second. So it's very different than just saying, right. oh, is this tailored? Or are you overly concerned about an audience, a live audience, an audience on television? No. 
they were in on it. And for everyone afterward who said, oh, well, Trump believes his lies. Oh, Tucker believes his lies. Not this one. While on with Tucker Carlson, Mike Lindell, remember him, the famous Mike Pillow guy, actually dared Dominion to sue him. And guess what? They did. Dominion wants $1.6 billion in damages. And all they have to prove is that Fox acted with malice or reckless disregard for the truth. So hello, check the text messages. They fucking scream reckless disregard for the truth. But Fox is already trying to hide behind the First Amendment, calling their lies about the election protected opinion commentary. And Fox is countersuing on the grounds of free speech and freedom of the press. You know, it, it is exactly what we always assumed was the case, which is that it is a, a right-wing organization designed to make money by spreading Republican propaganda, but to see it all laid out in black and white, to see the cynicism, to see them believing one thing and saying another, uh, this clearly was shocking. I I know, and it, like this is going to sound weird, but if Fox News was an organization filled with just like ideologically driven people who just really wanted to spread their bullshit, and they deeply believed it, and they wanted to they want to convince other people that they're right about Republican ideas and Republican politics. Like, I would detest that, but that would be one thing. What's clear from these text messages and from this testimony is that this is a company that knows, and this is the executives know this, the hosts know this, the producers know this. They know that their profits depend on keeping their audience brainwashed with crazy conspiracy theories. If Dominion manages to bring Rupert Murdoch and his empire to its knees, I mean, that would just be great. But either way, the cat's already out of the bag. Tucker may still be out there trying to push false claims about the election, but he's fucking over. He's the ratings king, now doing the documentary thing. You know who I'm talking about. They call him Tucker, Tucker, smart as can be. No one you will see gets ratings like he. He canceled himself. His once bright and shiny career will be relegated to the conservative corner. His credibility, or whatever is left of it, is fucking shot. Then you have Hannity and Ingraham too, for that matter. But the mainstream media wrote them off long ago. And we know Tucker, Tucker, nothing he won't do to prove he's the one true king of TV. <laughs> Things are definitely heating up in Trump's election fraud case in Fulton County, Georgia. Now, you may recall the perfect phone call that Trump made to Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger asking him to find several thousand votes. I have to find 12,000 votes, and I have them times a lot, and therefore I won the state. In partially redacted documents released last week, the grand jurors found, and I quote, no widespread fraud in the presidential election. So... Trump's argument that voter fraud justified his pushing Raffensperger to find these non-existent votes is fucking dead on arrival. The jury also pointed out that Trump hired a data company to track the vote, and they themselves told him flat out, hey, Donald, you fucking lost. Impeached former president who continues to push the unfounded claims that the 2020 election was stolen. 
Newly unsealed portions of the Georgia special grand jury's final report looking at potential election meddling by Donald Trump and his allies detail what literally every court body has already determined. The report states, quote, we find by a unanimous vote that no widespread fraud took place in the Georgia 2020 presidential election. The grand jurors in this case voted defendant by defendant and juror by juror and set forth their recommendations on indictments and relevant statutes. Also interesting is the grand jury's recommendation of indictments where the evidence is compelling for perjury that may have been committed by one or more witnesses. Now that could include witnesses like Mark Meadows, like Mike Flynn, John Eastman, and of course, Rudy Colludi Giuliani, and Lindsey Graham, but he told reporters this week, hey, I'm just not worried. Today, three parts of the special grand jury's report were released on a judge's orders. It confirmed that a majority of the grand jury believes that perjury may have been committed by one or more witnesses testifying before it. The grand jury recommends that the district attorney seek appropriate indictments for such crimes where the evidence is compelling. Translation, at least one of the witnesses who appeared before that grand jury appears to have lied and could end up in jail. Today, reporters caught up with Senator Lindsey Graham, who said he was confident he hadn't perjured himself before rushing out of the room to avoid answering more questions. Yes, I'm very confident. I have no idea. Uh what they're going to do, I'll just leave that to them. So you're confident you're not one of the ones who perjured themselves? I'm, I'm confident. So to quote my friend Norm Eisen, and here's the quote, the core American idea is that no one is above the law. If there is serious evidence of crimes, then a former president should face the same consequences as anyone else. If we do not hold accountable those who engage in this kind of misconduct, it will reoccur. On his social media platform, Truth Social, Trump claimed the report amounted to, quote, total exoneration, noting that the sections of the report released today do not mention his name once. They really actually don't mention many names at all. Of course, one potential reason Trump's name does not appear in the sections of the report released today could be because he is still the subject of the criminal investigation. So prosecuting Trump might seem like a victory to some of us, but it will have the equal and opposite effect on Trump world and the MAGA diehards. So there is some possibility that an indictment will lead to violence, or at the very least, a constant barrage of Trumpian drama that will saturate the news and drive us all fucking nuts. And according to reporting in the New York Times, if Fannie Willis does indict, she will likely take one of two paths. Either the fake electors, or the perfect phone call to Brad Raffensperger. There's also the potential that Willis will go for the whole enchilada and bring a RICO case against Trump that would include his whole clown posse. Through the roof. The numbers are astronomical. Ever-growing numbers. Numbers that you've never seen before. Numbers that nobody has ever seen. Numbers that you wouldn't even think are believable. Unbelievable numbers. A massive number. The biggest number ever. It's a ridiculous number. And when you add it all together, a lot of good things are going to happen. Gonna happen. Yeah. So Trump will also do everything that he can to slow the progress of the case. I mean, you know the drill by now. I've talked about it forever. He will stall forever with arguments like, one, he's immune to charges because he was acting in his official capacity as president. Or that he took bad advice from his lawyers. Or that his actions should be protected by the First Amendment. 
I mean, Trump's lawyers will also argue that the case should be taken out of federal court. But truth is, it shouldn't. But let's just say everything goes perfectly, that Fannie Willis still wouldn't be able to start her trial until the end of 2023. And again, according to my friend Norm Eisen, any case brought against Trump will take roughly two years to complete. So he'd be running for president while on trial for election fraud. I mean, think about that. It's fucking nuts, but it's just the sort of complication that Donald's counting on to get himself off the hook. And since we're discussing Donald going to court, are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups? Sure, are you I'm prepared to, to do that? Would you like me to condemn white supremacists and right proud militia? Stand back and stand by. The right-wing Proud Boys today adopted the president's words as their new slogan, stand back, stand by. In a long shot move, lawyers for five members of the Proud Boys facing sedition charges in connection to the January 6th attack on the Capitol, they're trying to issue a subpoena demanding that Trump appears as a witness at their trial. I mean, can you believe this shit? It's right. Their lawyers are hoping to elicit testimony that could persuade the jury that it was actually Trump and not the Proud Boys that instigated the crowd that stormed the Capitol. So for that, stay tuned. But it's a cold day in Trumpland when the fucking Proud Boys turn on you, Donald. So take that to the bank. And here's an update. We understand people have concerns. Well, Governor, so, why, we if the air is concern. good and the water is good, why are residents saying, here's some of the quotes, I don't see birds in, in my property anymore. The rivers have dead fish in them and worms. My throat has been burning, a horrible cough, sneezing, congestion, eyes burning. That's, I mean, clearly they're experiencing this. So if the air is clean and the water is clean, how do you explain that? Look, Look, we, we've, we've, this is why we're going to bring in the best experts in the country. What are you waiting for? Uh, it's already been two weeks. In, in it's already area. been two and weeks. We've already had, we already had, excuse me, we already had, uh, you know, we've had our director of health, Dr. Vanderhoff, who has been in the community talking, talking with people. We've told people, you know, you need to go to see your individual doctor. But we also know there are people who may not have an individual doctor. We know there are people who may not have insurance. Mm -hmm. And that's why setting up this clinic uh, to assure people and to talk to people one-on-one, -on -one, have them come in and do an assessment. Right. And again, the docs who will be there sure. will have direct access to the best people in the country right. who, who understand toxicity. I'm still trying to wrap my head around what's really happening in East Palestine, Ohio where a train full of deadly chemicals derailed and crashed on February 3rd. Republican Governor Mike DeWine just asked for federal aid on February 16th, two weeks after the crash. I mean, that seems weird. And then he never declared a state of emergency. Whether the governor was trying to initially protect the North Fork Southern Railway Company remains to be seen. But the slow response to the crisis has everyone pointing fingers at the White House and at Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg in particular. Buttigieg is out talking about how workers are too white. For the last couple of years, I have been warning about this crusade against white people and people shrug their shoulders and say, oh, Charlie, why does that matter? I could tell you why it matters. When there's a crisis now and the leaders hate working class whites, they're not going to scramble to save your life. They'll lie to you and tell you to go back home. 
while you're poisoned. Now, Buttigieg hasn't visited the crash site yet, but he did blame the Trump administration for loosening regulations that might have caused the crash. And now everyone from Joe Rogan to J.D. Vance are piling on Mayor Pete like he was the one that drove the train off the rails. Pete's office claims that they sent representatives out immediately, but it seems like Pete better get down there and manage the situation in person or lose some of his credibility as Biden's favorite fixer. Five days after the derailment, people were told it was safe to go home despite residents complaining of trouble breathing, noxious smells, nausea, and headaches. Ohio officials are trying to get folks to come back home, reassuring residents that the air in East Palestine remains safe to breathe. Yes, pay no attention to your lying lungs. The tingling means the air is working. <laughs> now, in response, in response to all this devastation, the folks over at Norfolk Southern offered $25,000 to the town. That's the whole town. East Palestine, Ohio has about 5,000 residents. That's five bucks per person. Tell you what, sorry for turning your town to a lifeless hellscape. You know what might help? A footlong at Subway. There you go. But honestly, folks, there's no room in a catastrophe of this magnitude for bullshit politics. And that's what's going on. Bullshit politics. What's needed is the full cooperation of state and federal agencies. Otherwise, East Palestine will have no chance of survival. And with each passing day, things there are just getting worse. The town was temporarily evacuated, but residents are worried that DeWine is now calling the area safe before all the proper testing has been done. The Biden administration deployed federal medical experts to help assess the danger and ramp up federal support. And the EPA and the Department of Health and Human Services are also now on the ground there as well. But unless the EPA holds the Norfolk Southern Railway Company accountable for this mess, another toxic train derailment is bound to happen and probably will before this one is even fucking cleaned up. I grew up here. I was born here. Like, I know every road around here. I know just about everybody here. It, it, we can't just uproot and go. Like, it's a disaster. And now for the main event. Today, we welcome Lev Parnas to the show. Now, Lev, as you may know, is a Soviet-born businessman who, along with Rudy Kaludi Giuliani and Igor Fruman, played a central role in the campaign to pressure Ukraine to investigate Trump's political rivals, including Hunter Biden. Parnas was thrown into Trump's first impeachment drama, but he ended up working with federal prosecutors against Giuliani and the former president. Parnas right now is currently serving a 20-month sentence for campaign finance, for wire fraud, and false statement offenses. And he's speaking to us today while on home confinement. <laughs> Trust me, I know all about speaking while on home confinement. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so welcome, Lev, and thanks for talking with us. Now, I know that you're on home confinement, and trust me, nobody understands <laughs> home confinement better than I. Well, maybe you now, right? And just starting to reach out to tell your story. You know, that's what I did on my home confinement. In fact, I started this podcast to keep myself busy and also, you know, writing um, both books, right? Both uh, finishing Disloyal, which was 99% done, and then Revenge. But... 
I want you to tell us about your story. So let's go back to the very beginning. How did you even get involved with Rudy Colludi, Drunken Giuliani <laughs> in the first place? And what kind of work did you do with Rudy, at least initially? I mean, Rudy, uh, first time I met Rudy uh, close up was at a private dinner fundraiser that, that we held for Trump uh, when he was running for president. He showed up there at a friend of mine's house, Robert Pereira's house, uh, up in Boca Raton. And uh, it was high goodbye, nothing special. Uh, then I started seeing him around constantly at the Trump International and uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, always hello, goodbyes. And then one day I got approached by a lawyer named John Sale, who used to be an ASU uh, working with Rudy back in the day. And he was running for uh, attorney, state attorney of Florida. And he approached me and said to me, I heard uh, you're very close to Trump. Can you put in a good word for me? <laughs> and I was like, well, you're good friends with Rudy. Why do you need me to put in a good word? <laughs> it was kind of funny. But uh, right. after speaking, after speaking, going back and forth, uh, he asked me what I was doing and what I was up to. And one of the projects I was working on was a company that obviously everybody knows now about called Fraud Guarantee. It was an insurance company that was supposed to prevent fraud. It was we used to call it the anti-Bernie Madoff policy. And he fell in love with it. And he said, you know what, uh, you need to, you know, Rudy. And I said, you know, I know him, but I don't really know. And he said, you really need to get to know him because uh, he's, he's somebody that could really promote your company and take it to the next level, like he did with LifeLock. And then uh, within a few weeks, uh, I was uh, at the Trump International. Rudy was walking by and I approached him. I said, hey, Rudy, I said, did John Sale call you? And he goes, oh, you're Lev. He goes, uh, now I have a name to the face. And... Uh, I mean, literally, within a few days, we were in New York at his office meeting with his lawyers, talking about the company. Next thing you know, it, he's invited me to a Yankee game. That same night, we went to a Yankee game. And uh, literally after that, we were together every single day, man. <laughs> so it's, I mean, I've seen him more than I've seen my wife and kids for the next several years. It was incredible. Well, that's probably because, if I'm not mistaken, Rudy accepted a position on the company as a consultant and he was being paid a half a million dollars a year if i'm not mistaken well it was more than that i mean that's what he tried to make it believe but rudy you know uh, tries to spin the story but rudy was actually want was going to have shares in the company and be an actual shareholder and do a lot more than just consulting work and the half a million was rudy's way of calling it quote unquote uh placeholder uh, because he was uh, running out of money, going through a divorce, and he needed to make some right. payroll bills. And he uh, originally wanted a million dollars. When we couldn't do that, he said, "Listen, you know, uh, I'm there for you. Uh, whether you know, just be there for me. And if you could get me this half a million, it will really save my life." You know, and uh, you know, we gave it to him, but he never did anything for it. Ended up taking the money, and uh, <laughs> and I ended up going to jail. <laughs> right. So let me ask you this, because. Very similar to the case that happened to me with Donald. I mean, you know, I don't yeah. want to put the two in the same stratosphere because <laughs> Rudy's a fucking buffoon. And despite Trump being a buffoon as well, he happened to have been the president of the United States. Right. The difference, though, right, is both you and I ended up doing time. Now, again, I don't want to put the two together because I know there were a lot of people that came in and they told their story to the judge during sentencing. And so in my specific case, there was no economic loss to any person right. or any institution or even the IRS, 
right? Crazy. Because I had paid whatever was owed, and it was an error. I get, I say, I acknowledge that, but shouldn't you hold my accountant? responsible, my CPA, every dollar was in Capital One Bank that was located the base of the building I live in. There was no hidden money like what Manafort had in Ukraine or anything right. like that. But <laughs> the part that bothered me about your case was the fact that Rudy was an active player in fraud guarantee, and yet he was not accused of any wrongdoing or charged with any crime. How did something like that happen in your case? I mean, it's it's uh, till this day. I don't know. I mean, Rudy not only was an active player, but he was an active player for uh, uh, pitching the person that sent that five hundred thousand dollars. I mean, he he actually spoke to the guy and told him that's you know the money never even went to fraud guarantee. The money went directly to Rudy Giuliani's account. It never even touched one of our accounts. It went directly from uh, an investor into Rudy Giuliani's account. So you, Michael, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, I don't know how things like that happen. Uh, when it comes to fraud guarantee. Now, the funny thing is that I think the guy who had sent the 500000 directly to Rudy's account was a lawyer. was an attorney as well, right? Yeah, he, he was a lawyer and uh, he was a big Rudy Giuliani fan. I mean, the only reason he even sent the money is because Rudy told him that he's going to be taken working on the company and taking it to the next level. Because the company was basically at that time insolvent. It was just an idea. It wasn't, we didn't have uh, any, you know, any actual meat on the bones. We had a great idea and we were working on getting a policy together. That's what Rudy was supposed to put together with insurances, other insurance brokers. And right. when Rudy came along, I mean, basically the only reason Charles even did that is because Rudy told him that he's going to be on, you know, taking the company, working on it and taking it to the next level. Which is interesting because that's not what he said, obviously, to the court, which, right. again, it's so eerily similar in terms of my case with the Southern District of New York, this guy, this attorney, Charles, didn't blame Giuliani, but rather no. blamed you, claiming yeah. that you ran out of money and you needed to keep your relationship with Giuliani alive. <laughs> and I, and I, question, I question that statement only because how would he know that you needed to keep a relationship alive with Rudy, when this guy was merely an investor, he wasn't in-house counsel or he wasn't doing anything legal for the company, was he? No, he had nothing to do with the company. I mean, right. so uh, where did that where that comment come from? Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, uh, it, the the things that have been transpired. I mean, it's the same thing as Trump saying he didn't know me or Rudy saying that you know we were uh, we weren't supposed to be going to Ukraine or whatever. I mean, these guys lie, 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 deny, deny, lie some more. I mean, that's their whole mo. I mean, and they think the more they lie and the more they deny. I mean, eventually, you know, their shit stinks. I mean, you know, it's it's crazy. It's just crazy. Yeah, Same thing well, with you. I mean, look at what happened with Trump. You know, I'm saying to you, one second you're 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 his number one lawyer, everything is going great. The next thing you know, it you know Michael who? You know what I'm saying to you? It, by like, the way, that's what it was, right? You remember? So it's like you know, yeah. uh, ask Michael. He's my lawyer when we were talking about the Stormy Daniels payment, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, he was a low level PR guy. Well, first <laughs> exactly. of all, I'm, <laughs> the only PR <laughs> I was doing was to was to turn around all of the issues that this fucking asshole ended up creating, right? Which was, oh, um, you know, cheating on his cheating on his wife multiple times uh, with all of the uh, businesses that were going under and reviewing. And but he's right, Wh whatever whatever he says, you know, it, it doesn't make a difference. But 
One of the things also, um, you you got what, 18 months? I got 20. No, I got 20 months. 20 months. You got 20. All right. But then after yeah. the 15 uh, on good time, how long did you yeah. end up serving and where were you? Uh, I was in Otisville. <laughs> oh, you were there too? Safely, yeah. Yeah, I was at Otisville. You mind if I ask you, what, what cubicle were you? Uh, 21. I had my own. <laughs> oh, you were, you were on the other Yeah, you were on the other side. Yeah, I was... Yeah, I was 46. Yeah, well, I, actually, originally I was at 47. <laughs> really? But then I, yeah, oh. and then I moved over to 21. So, yeah, so, uh, uh, but uh, I was at Oldsville. I served four months. And, uh, you know, now I'm in home confinement. Now I'm, uh, you know, doing my... Uh, but you served my, four uh, months at Otisville. And yeah. what, you got out due to the CARES Act, due to COVID? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, due to the CARES Act. Huh, interesting then. So when you were released, obviously you went over to Geo in the Bronx and they did the ankle monitor, they gave you the telephone, whatever whatever system that they're using these days. Is that right? Uh, actually, no, I, I was, I'm still on furlough. I'm just, I didn't, and I, I'm not going to the Bronx. I'm in Florida. So in Florida, I have to go down to Davie uh, and I'm going to get, I guess, an ankle monitor. Oh, they trans- yeah, they I mean, transferred. Yeah. So they transferred your file. Got it. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Well, it's a, I understand that Florida is a much easier system than um, than New York. That's for I sure. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I used I had an ankle monitor for three years prior to going away. So I mean, it's uh, it's right. been a long, uh, long, uh, heavy ride. So one of the other things, then, love that you're accused of is helping Kaludi connect with Ukrainian figures as part of a campaign to dig up dirt on President Biden's son Hunter. So. In light of the House investigation into Hunter Biden, I'm going to ask you, did you find anything? I mean, you know what? Yeah, let me put it to you this way. Uh, Hunter Biden was a, uh, somebody they used as a, as a tool. Uh, he was uh, originally he was uh, a, a pro, uh, the guy that got Hunter Biden on the board of Burisma also happened to be the same guy that was uh, for 15 years working with Rudy Giuliani and getting him uh, speaking arrangements in Europe. So <laughs> who's who's yeah. that? Vitaly Proust. So uh-huh. it, it was this, so it was the same guy, and uh, originally uh, it was uh, through Devin Archer. He knew Devin Archer back in New York, and uh, uh, Zlachevsky and Burisma were having problems up, and uh, obviously because uh, they got exiled to Russia, and they were and the Ukrainians were trying to take away his business, and he was trying to put somebody on board, and all of a sudden. Uh, this favor came up. Originally, it was supposed to be Devin Archer, uh, Hunter Biden, and uh, John Kerry's son. Uh, oh, what's his name? I forgot his name. Uh, the But John Kerry's son basically declined to go on. But Hunter Biden, because of his uh, situation and being on drug fueled at the time and not being so stable, uh, accepted, the situ- accepted the job. Not knowing anything about, uh, and not knowing anything about oil, gas, or anything. Right. Well, but I do have to ask you this then, because I do recall there was a Politico article going back to 2020, and it was entitled Former Giuliani Associate, and of course it's you, raises questions about Hunter Biden's hard drive from hell. And in it, supposedly, you gave um, a statement where it was that there are photos and documents from hell i got to try to find the exact the exact line but was that true or was that a mischaracterization 
No, 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 that was true. And that's why when they found the computer, I was, uh, I, I looked at it and I couldn't understand how that computer ended up all the way in Delaware. And that's why I even tweeted that out because if you, well, me and Rudy were had a meeting with Vitaly back in 2019 when we were told about the computer, the hard drive, and that there was information on it. And the crazy part about it, it was uh, he was being set up all along by the Russian the FSB because they would take him over to Russia and uh, one time in particular to Kazakhstan and they would feed him with drugs and give him girls and prostitutes and they were filming the whole stuff. And I, we were told Rudy knew about that computer way before the, uh, it was discovered. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know how, uh, uh, it, and it's funny how it gets discovered and right away it gets into Rudy's hands. Yeah, but it also stated in this article that, the, um, that there was a Ukrainian oligarch who was looking for help. He had some sort of a legal jam uh, and that he's the one who managed to get the computer into, I guess, through you into Rudy's possession. Is that is that accurate? No. Well, what, what was the day on the day of my arrest? We were actually going out to Vienna to be able to, to meet with the CFO of Burisma, the ex-CFO of Burisma that was arranged for Rudy. Rudy was supposed to be on the plane with me. And when I got arrested, he canceled literally hours before we were supposed to go take off. So Rudy was supposed to be on his way to Vienna. Sean Hannity was supposed to be doing an interview. It was it was all set up, and all of a sudden, then we get arrested. Uh, but we were on our way to meet with the CFO that you know he was supposed to hand over a package, and uh, uh, at that time, I believe the package was supposed to be the computer. Who who is who is the Ukrainian oligarch? Is that the head of Burisma that they're referring to? No. No, that's a gentleman, uh, Dmitry Firtesh, who's uh, uh, right now in exile in Vienna, that they're trying to uh, get back over here to the United States. Understood. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, this this is one of these sort of stories that you you don't know which way to turn, right? If you turn to the right, it doesn't make sense. If you turn to the left, it doesn't make sense. And what really doesn't make sense to me, again, is literally something that you just said that Rudy knew about this computer in advance of, I guess, even its coming... Reappearance. Reappearance. Its its appearance or something to that. Um, Also, do you think that the whole thing was set up um, in order to get Hunter Biden, who everybody knew, everybody knew for many, many years, it was no secret that he had a drug problem. Right, it was exactly. it was never exactly. a secret. So did they do that on purpose? Was it that they somehow managed to get, you know, girls almost like what they claimed with Trump with the P tape, which is just not true. But exactly. Which right, I agree. You know, if in fact that hypothetically he was into that shit, which he's not. Um, but if he was right. into it and then they send girls there in order to urinate on the bed and blah, blah, blah. Here, when someone has a drug habit and they end up sticking it in their face, um, that, would be, that would be very similar, I hate to say it, to what Jared Kushner's father did to um, his brother-in-law, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's the same exact thing. It was that MO. I mean, basically, they were, they were using him to get compromised to be able to have against him just in case they needed to use it against Joe Biden at one point. I mean, the FSB was told to us, to me and Rudy both, when we were sitting there in Cipriani's, that, that that's exactly what was going on. So, I mean, and there were several different meetings. There was a birthday party that he had, a 40-year-old birthday party that Hunter had and that they threw for him in Moscow. 
then there was a visit to Kazakhstan, and it was all being taped, and it was all being, you know, uh, used for future compromise. So who's so who's Mac Isaac? Because that's a name that I that I saw. Do you have any idea? Is he the is no. he the guy from the uh, from the store in Delaware? Is that possible? But it, the article was interesting in the fact that I'm going to quote from it. The timing of the meeting also suggests Giuliani was made aware of these materials well before Mac Isaac first made contact with either the FBI in December of 2019 or with Giuliani's lawyer, who Mac Isaac gave the alleged hard drive on August 29th of 2020, according to somebody familiar with the story. So I guess that's probably who it is. But this whole thing to me is just odd, right? Um, knowing how the Russians... Right, the oddest part is just think about it, Michael. Like, uh, out of all people, I mean, he gets this guy, Mac Isaacs, gets a computer and he calls who? Giuliani. <laughs> I mean, out of all the people, you're going to call Giuliani's lawyer to come pick up a computer. And then all of a sudden, Giuliani gets it and, you know, starts disseminating information from it and, and all this stuff. I mean, listen, we're not stupid. I mean, one plus one equals two. I mean, uh, they're just not that bright, I guess, the way they did it. But uh, there's definitely uh, something fishy over there. So let me ask you, did Vitaly Proust, did he ever tell you or Giuliani that he had compromised um, documents or pictures or information on Hunter Biden and that he was willing to give it to Rudy if he could help, um, I guess, help him out with some problems that he was having with main justice with the justice department here in america no that wasn't vitaly Prus. vitaly Prus, uh, that was dimitri firtish the two different vitaly Prus was a guy that was working that is very close to a lot of ukrainian and russian politicians and oligarchs and he was the one that was working with rudy for 15 years to set up his uh speaking arrangements over in eastern europe and he's the one that had the relationship with Lachevsky and Burisma and was able right, to because, uh, well, and got Hunter the job. Right, but Lev, according to the so article, he didn't, he didn't. So he so he didn't have that was Dmitry Firtish that had that was helping out with that. Right, but according it to wasn't the Vitali Prus. But according to the article, um, Vitali Prus is the one who told Giuliani um, that the yeah, Burisma he's the founder. That we, he's right. the one that told. Us had the information right he's the one that told it yeah you're correct he's the one that he told us that the information is out there but he didn't have the information mm -hmm. he's the one that knew about it and told us that there's the computer exists the hard drive exists and that what's on the hard drive and the computer well that's how we found out about it that was in sometime in june or july of 2019 but then uh, to go get it they were they put pressure uh, giuliani put pressure on uh, the this oligarch dimitri firtish they put extreme pressure on him that if he wanted help to, with Bill Barr and try to get his case off over here in the United States, that they wanted him to go try to find this computer and find uh, uh, this information. So that was Giuliani who was making that, that if you want if you want me to go to Bill Barr and if you want me to help to smooth things oh, absolutely. out. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Firtish never wanted to get involved in the Biden stuff. I mean, Lenny Davis was his lawyer. He, I mean, Giuliani forced me. I fire Lenny. You know Lenny very well. I was I with Lenny, Lenny yesterday so, when uh, I was uh, before the exactly. district attorney again. Exactly. I know. Exactly. So, I mean, Lenny was Firtish's lawyer. Firtish never wanted to get involved in that whole politics of Biden stuff, but he was pressured to such a degree by uh, Giuliani, Tunzing, Victoria Tunzing, Jody Genova, and they basically told him, if you want any chance of getting your thing dismissed, you need to help us with the... It wasn't about the money. They didn't care how much money he paid him. They cared about getting information, you know, 
And um, he never actually got the information. Like I said, we were on our way to Vienna that supposedly get it uh, to meet with the CFO from Burisma to be able to get the information. But I was arrested on the flight there. I mean, have you seen, you know, when my when I was on the home confinement, I actually wrote my second book, which turned out to be, I think, number eight on the New York Times bestseller list. My first one that I wrote while I was in the library uh, over there that we, we had a great <laughs> library, didn't we? You know, probably 20 yeah, percent of those yeah. books were mine. And if you actually go into the book, yeah. I know I'm not. Well, yeah, uh, I used to get a thousand books from people that would just send them. I mean, I read uh, 97 books in the 11, 13 months that I was there. You know, I got the 36-month sentence. You got a sweetheart of a fucking deal, to be honest with you. I don't know who your lawyer was, but you got a much better deal than I did. Um, by the way, did you get I supervised? An, I have an incredible lawyer. Did you get supervised release? Yeah, three years. Three I don't years know what's done with release. this three-year bullshit. But anyway, Florida's much easier, <laughs> again, than, Florida's much easier than New York. But, you know... Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I I was blessed, Michael. I had an incredible yeah. lawyer, and, I, and you most you know certainly what? you uh, most certainly and, did. I, I, and I also I think I had a great judge that saw through a lot of the bullshit that was going through and realized that you know I'm saying to you that a lot of the shit I was being used as a tool, and that I wasn't some hardcore criminal that was trying to infiltrate the United States. You know what I'm saying to you? Yeah, and you know it's it's sad, but if well, I was saying that my book Revenge that I wrote the. Part of the title is how Donald Trump weaponized the United States Department of Justice against his critics. Just taking that head, yeah. just taking that as a headline. Think about it. I know for a fact, and it's why I'm desperate to get my hands on all these FOIA documents that government refuses to turn over. We're in litigation with them, and they still refuse, even though the court ordered them to turn it over. They still <laughs> refuse. Though there was a journalist that contacted me the other day and said that he has a whole slew of documents that came into his possession. Really? Yeah, that show um, uh, what you want, uh, a couple of Bill Barr's very close confidants and people uh, with my name attached to it, talking about um, this was, you know, remanding me back. And there's a whole slew of stuff, and I'm dying to get my hands on it. In fact, I sent somebody well, to go, I, I, mean, I sent someone to go see him today in Washington, D.C., and I'm waiting to hear if that actually uh, came to fruition. But the reason I bring that up about the weaponization, just think about it. Rudy Kaludi is sitting there and telling somebody, if you get me this dirt, which you know that Trump wanted desperately because he wanted to win the re-election, if you can get this Oh, I heard for Trump me, say directly. Yeah. Yeah. If you can get this yeah, for me, I will get Bill Barr to loosen whatever legal issues exist for this Ukrainian oligarch. Am I am I right yeah, about not only that, but Victor not on that, but it went even farther than that. Victoria actually met with Bill Barr <laughs> to get that re re stuff taken no, care of. Victoria it who? was done in September. Tunzing, Victoria Tunzing. Victoria Tunzing and Jody, that couple, Jody Geneva and Victoria Tunzing, that used to be on Fox all the time. Yes. At, uh, to attorneys. So, so Rudy used them <clears throat> as his buffers. To be able to uh, to be able to represent uh, Firtish to be able to do because Rudy originally wanted to represent Firtish himself, but then the White House told him it's going to be a bad idea <laughs> for you to do it. He was eager to make that a million dollar retainer himself, but he <laughs> but the White House told him that it's not it's a bad idea, and that's that's when he put in Victoria. 
I, I, I mean, mean I'm, the, I'm, and, honestly, and I'm blown was, away. Michael, the MO was, yo, the MO was the same. I mean, it all started off in the beginning with uh, Lutsenko, the, uh, the uh, prosecutor from the general prosecutor from Ukraine. When he came to visit Rudy, the first thing Rudy told him is, if you want me to help you with anything, because the guy came here trying to find uh, corruption, uh, corrupt Ukrainians that were uh, in the United States and try to smuggle money into the United States from Ukraine. And Rudy told him, if you want me to help you with that, first of all, you got to give me a $200,000 retainer and you got to give me all the dirt you have on Hunter Biden. That was the first, <laughs> and Joe Biden. So that was the first, I mean, right off the end, that was going back uh, a year before even this whole thing came out. A lot of, and that's one of the things I also did that, you know, uh, while I was inside, I started writing a book and I'm, I'm, I'm ha all halfway into it. But there's a lot of stuff because of the way Trump changes the news cycle which usually is not heard of. You know, usually you get a story, it's out there a couple of weeks, a week. Trump used to change it three times a day. At you least. have breaking news and all different stuff. At least, I always talked exactly. about Exactly, so people really, yeah, exactly. So people don't even know what happened in Ukraine. People don't understand that, you know, they know bits and pieces, but this is going back farther than uh, you could imagine. I mean, really put the pressure that they put on the, uh, on uh, Zelensky, and prior to Zelensky, the pressure that they put on the Attorney General of Ukraine and even Poroshenko, Poroshenko was supposed to get rid of, I mean, I had a three-hour meeting, nobody knows about three-hour meeting with Poroshenko that Trump sent me to have with him to tell him that he was going to uh, support him in the elections if he got rid of Maria Ivanovich. Right. <laughs> and Poroshenko, I mean, was close to do it and on the Sean Hannity show. They already had it all set up. I, I want my listeners to, I, I, I want my listeners to really think about what Lev is saying right now. You're talking about a, you're talking about collusion amongst the inner top circle of the White House, right, in order to effectuate some sort of goal outside of the United States, right, to get this compromise yeah. information on an opponent. You know, the one thing that I've also heard, and there are a couple of one or two guys at Otisville who actually got pardoned uh, by Trump and the story that I have heard from at least half a dozen journalists. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, from a half a dozen journalists have called to ask me if I know these two individuals, uh, one I do, one I don't, um, that they paid for pardons. Oh yeah, I, I, know, I, I, know, I know one guy that paid for the pardons. Uh, a guy, his name is Eli Weinstein. He was at Fort Dix actually, serving an eight and a half years, I mean 20 something uh, year sentence. Eight years into it, he gave him a, he gave him a pardon, but that was because of uh, one of the lawyers that was working because he had all these guys working on his behalf trying to uh, get pardons. So I heard he paid over half a million dollars. Yes, because the people that I heard, one guy, the allegations that it was three million. Um, all I can say, yeah. well, I mean, this is this is crazy. Who was this guy that you know? Who was his rabbi? Who was the one that brought it to Kushner? Because uh, as you know, was, uh, Kushner somehow decided that he was right. going to take over the pardon office. Forget about the fact that there were 20 some odd people working there, right? And that was their <laughs> job. All of a sudden, Kushner, the fucking Talmud Chacham of Chachams, right? That means genius of all geniuses. All of a sudden, this guy takes over this guy takes over the entire pardon office. I heard it was a fucking free-for-all. It was if you had cash. If you would cash, <laughs> yeah. tell us how much, and we're, we're uh, good to go. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. Uh, his rabbi was, uh, what's that lawyer, the Democrat that uh, 
Not Democrat. The, 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 no, no, you mean the, Republican. Uh, you're talking was, about Dershowitz? No, he was a Democrat. He was a Dershowitz, Dershowitz. Oh. Yeah, it was Dershowitz. He called in a favor because Trump owed him one because he uh, was, I think he went around Kushner in that one. Uh, <laughs> to be honest with you, I think he pulled a favor because he represented him in the, the impeachment. So yeah, Dershowitz was involved in that one. Wow. Yeah, no. I mean, the, and and believe me, I, I know Jared and Ivanka. I've had meetings with them. Nobody even knows, but Trump wanted me to head up the Cannabis Commission. I had a meeting at the at the Trump International with all these heads of cannabis companies with Ivanka and Jared discussing how they were going to support and they were going to push it to get cannabis legalized. So... <laughs> you know, I got to ask you. I got to ask I you. I talk. mean, talk about a great position yeah. to have, especially if you're going to start parceling out these cannabis licenses, right? For you know, for a percentage <laughs> or for you know, for a fee. I mean, I'm yeah. A, while you were involved with all of these motherfuckers, and there's no other way to describe them. Yeah. Um, exactly. Tell me, did you ever hear my name come up? Oh, you were the devil, man. Oh yeah, there was a one time that actually Rudy had me. We were sitting at the. Uh, what's it? The cigar lounge uh, Six, on six six six. Yeah, Cushion. Yeah, six six six. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, the I'm Havana Club. About. So we were sitting up there, the Havana Club. Exactly. We were sitting up there, and I remember actually that was when you uh, was the first time it was reported that you uh, were going to flip because uh, uh, you there was a picture of you meeting up with what's his name, Char- uh, uh, Char- Al Sharpton. Yeah, Reverend Al. Not Al. Reverend Al, when you and Al, you were, I think it was downstairs in your apartment building, you guys, somebody caught a picture of that and they sent it to Rudy and the, Rudy gave it to me. He goes, can you believe this cocksucker? I need you to find everything you can on him. And he had me sitting there researching you and going Googling and finding out how you were connected to the mob about your uncle Maury Levine and all that shit. I mean, it was just like uh, two days full of stuff and and going back to the White House calling nonstop. I mean, they, it was just... A, but how <laughs> am I... But, wait, wait, but, I, I but why that. would he say... How am I connected to the mob? Well, that's what he wanted to prove. He wanted to connect to show that you were dirty. He wanted to find dirt on you to show that you were dirty and that you were connected and that you were somehow uh, uh, to, to discredit you, basically. <laughs> you you really got to love... So, you got to yeah. love him. There's yeah. nobody dirtier than Rudy Giuliani. And what about Ivanka Jared? What oh. about, did you hear anything? Did you hear anything else? Did you ever hear anything about, you know, I had heard from two different reporters that prior to the unconstitutional remand of me back to Otisville, right, when I was supposed to go to jail. That for, was crazy. But, when, I, when I saw that, that was fucking insane. I had heard that that conversation about me going back had been discussed in Washington, around the inner circle, in advance, like a week in advance of me going back. You ever hear anything like that? What's the most shocking thing that you heard no. that had to do with me, other than some fictitious shit? Yeah, I knew guys who were in organized crime. I absolutely did when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah the, we, the, the, dude, we know we know a lot of the same guys. But trust me, when I tell you, I knew your uncle more. Yeah. He's also very well at the. I mean, <laughs> so I mean, look, there were a lot so, of I mean, members there in the Mill Basin, Brooklyn area yeah. that were organized crime yeah. guys. 
My uncle was a doctor. Yeah, so he, not only were they members of the yep. club, but when they got sick, he would treat them. He was a, he was a family doctor exactly. in the area. I mean, the fact that, oh, my God, yep. I shook hands with Paul Castellano when I was a little kid. I met Roy Cohn. Guess who else knew Roy Cohn, right? Donald Trump, except the difference. Donald I Trump. Was, I was 14 <laughs> years old at the time. Trump was a grown man. Yeah. You know, I mean, and I write about yeah. it in my book, Disloyal. I don't, I, when the first year that the club was open and I was working, Working there as a kid, I watched this guy shoot another guy in the ass in the pool. You know, I mean that's and that's a true story. But <laughs> my my point is, what's the craziest shit that you heard any of them say about me? The craziest shit you I heard about you. Uh, let me think. The craziest shit I heard about you, besides you having an affair with uh, that you were. Uh, the, the, with all, all kinds of different people, oh. you were having, a, you were cheating on your oh. wife. Uh, that you were, yeah, yeah. Uh, that you were having affairs. That they were going to uh, give it to your wife and show her who. who well, the that was the Michael Matt Cohen Gates. Is. Remember that? That was Matt Gates that they tasked yeah, to do that. Matt Gates, and then Matt he, Gates, yeah. Matt Gates actually sent me an apology. <laughs> he sent me an apology. He goes. I know it wasn't true, but I was so angry at you for what you were doing. <laughs> and you know who actually wrote the text with Matt at the time to apologize? Sean, Sean Hannity, though. Yeah. Wasn't Sean Hannity? And the funny thing, yeah, too, is Sean Hannity. <laughs> and the funny thing is, Sean Hannity had come to me early on and saying, I'm divorcing my wife. And I'm like, why? He goes, there's so much else out there. There's somebody else I'm interested in. I'm like, stay with your wife. She was with you when you were a nobody and a loser. All right? Stay with her. And, you know, right? we used to talk about that all the time. All of a sudden, now I'm the guy with the affair. You know what's interesting? They took my laptops. What? They took my cell phones. Ten million documents. You think if there was something out there, you think that maybe it would have been released? Especially in light of all the shit oh, that I've done. I mean, and Matt Gates, And I, I give Matt Gates credit for, for this. He actually called and he apologized. And he goes, I'm really sorry. And if it would make any difference... I would even get on the phone with your wife and apologize. I shouldn't have done it, and I shouldn't have let them convince me to do it. That's how sick these fucking people are. You know, I, oh, I do you know, oh, you know how I fought for Don to Jr. to keep his marriage when he was having an affair with Aubrey O'Day because I, his first yeah, wife, Vanessa, is a wonderful, wonderful person. I mean, and now they're throwing, what wonderful. they do is they deflect their shit onto somebody else. Well, that's that's their whole mo. I mean, they they're they're the dirty ones. I mean, the shit that I seen and Rudy. I mean, chase young girls. I mean, that are should be his grandkids, and you know, and then talk about them nasty. I mean, and the way Trump would I mean act around even supporters. I mean, I saw him put his face in a woman's boobs one time, uh, uh, telling us, "Watch this." Like this, and I mean, the guys are fucking uh, lunatics. Did, you know what I did mean? Did you see the? They have no. They left. Did you see the? Uh, the what do you call it? The Barat one. The the last uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. Fuck, this was, fucking fuck. scumbag. This, Yo, this fucking idiot. I mean, tell me, he does he not look like the <laughs> penguin schlepping his back leg? Right. Dude, I mean, he's all Yo, disheveled and shit, dude. and he's now got his pants down for some young girl that he thinks. I mean. Dude. I mean, seriously, if that's not the most embarrassing thing for him, and then he's got his idiot son, Andrew, even dumber than Eric Trump. Well, oh, that, I mean, he's a, that guy. Yeah. He's like on he, par he, with he, Eric Trump as the two dumbest people together. Right? Could you imagine he wants to be governor, right? And, and so on. And he should be so yeah. proud of his father, the greatest mayor of all time, getting caught with his pants down on television, right, with, uh, with uh, Barat. I mean, come on, give me a no, break. No, no. So, you yeah, know, let, let no. me... Let me... Andrew, Andrew, Andrew was good. 
Andrew was good at his job. You know, he he would give tours around the White House. <laughs> and he was a very good golf instructor at Trump National in Palos Verdes. And that's and that's, that's that's the only reason he had the job is because Trump tried to have him by his side when he needed to hustle somebody on the golf course. <laughs> yeah, well, he doesn't have to hustle. He just cheats. So let me ask you this. So you and um, Igor Fruman, your partner, were both arrested yeah. in October yeah. of 2019 and charged with planning yeah. to direct funds from a foreign government to U.S. politicians while trying to influence right? U.S.-Ukraine relations. I'm going to bring this up because... It's you, fucking crazy. It's crazy. Can you tell us how your arrest related to a plan to oust then ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch? I mean, they were trying to impl implicate and say that I was working for the Russians and the Ukrainians and that I was trying to uh, fill Trump's head and Rudy's head full of shit about the misinformation. And they were listening to me. But I guess when they realized and when they saw the real truth and understood that I, that who was the one that was pushing and sending me to get the stuff, that's why they dropped those charges and put in, and you know charged me with election fraud like, instead. <laughs> I Does mean, it it's sound hilarious. familiar? I mean, it, it, Does it sound familiar to you? Oh, the same as you, yeah. Same. I mean, it's the same mo. The same. Mo. Listen, what between you, what me you? and you, Bill Barr. How about this? The 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 day Bill Barr gets into office, that day I know for a fact he was told about my investigation and with Rudy, and he was watching it very very closely because Rudy he, he didn't like Rudy, didn't like the situation, and he wanted to try to see how he could distance us from Trump so it doesn't somehow. And it was so coincidental that I get arrested right after the, uh, the right when I was supposed to testify in front of Congress. I get a subpoena, and all of a sudden I get arrested. You know, well, you know, it's it's all coincidental. Well, because they knew you know, they, they knew but, that you were going to provide testimony the same way that I did. I oh, didn't absolutely. flip. I just absolutely. provided yeah, testimony. Absolutely. You know, there's a big difference. You know, oh, you absolutely. flip because you're looking for a benefit. There was no benefit for me. I didn't ask for a five k one. I refused to sign a five k one agreement. I turned around. And I said, yeah. I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. But think about this too. Do you remember? Twice they they tried to do that to me. The first time is when uh, what was his name Artemenko with Seder when they turn around they claim that I had a peace plan and I posted the document. I finally <laughs> found it after like three years. I found the document it was in the weirdest place in a box that the FBI had taken. But they supposedly went through everything. But why they didn't let me know about this one? It was in between two other sets of documents. Anyway. It was a one sentence, Ukraine should lease Crimea to Russia for 100 years. That's his peace plan. All right. How about that's Artemenko. Yes. And that's what that was. Artemenko. That's what yeah. they wanted to claim was the peace plan, that I was acting as a fairer agent, a foreign a, 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 um, you know, re, uh, agent that you have to right. register for, that I didn't do that. But of course, all those charges that they tried to throw in as well, they were all like, listen, we can't even bring them. It's it's just not true. Right. I mean, that's that's the crazy part. Artemenko later on in, in this whole fiasco was the one that uh, was the go-between between him and uh, Derkach, the guy that Andre Derkach, the, the indicted uh, Ukrainian that was giving misinformation about Hunter and everything, later on that sent it to Ron Johnson. Artemenko introduced Rudy to him. After I told Rudy not to deal with them, Rudy went behind my back and went and, and spoke to him anyway, like usual, you know, the old Rudy Kaludi way. 
And <laughs> so it's all the same players, believe do me. Do you remember, uh, by I, the way, do you remember they stressful. also made allegations that I received $400,000 from Poroshenko in order to get Trump to not meet with him for 15 <laughs> minutes, but rather to extend it by 45 minutes to an hour. Poroshenko ended up suing um, the journalist oh, I, I, and he, he made I money. I spoke to Poroshenko about that. What's that? I spoke to Poroshenko about that. I spoke to Poroshenko about that actually because they told me to, he they wanted me to get that for him to admit it and tell and confront it. He told me that never happened. He said he said on the contrary, what did happen? He goes is that when he was uh, when he was at the White House, he was meeting actually with a different somebody else at the White House, and then one of Trump's I don't remember the exact person brought him in to see Trump. The reason they brought him in to see Trump is because Trump was having a rally in Pennsylvania later on in the week. And he basically, Trump uh, turned around to him and asked him to buy coal from this Pennsylvania company because Trump wanted to announce that to make himself look good. So Poroshenko goes out there and buys the coal at much more expensive prices. And then all of a sudden, Trump the next day goes to the rally and announces that they were doing the deal with Ukraine. And Poroshenko got nothing in return and Trump never even called him back. So that's why when Trump, when he when I was sent in to talk to him about uh, getting rid of the ambassador, he didn't trust Trump. He told me, he goes, look, I already did one favor for him. And he basically never even picked up a phone on me. How do I know he's going to support me after I do this? Yeah. Well, let me ask you this then. Because, so, I mean, believe me. Yeah. I mean, you can't believe Trump. You can't believe any of them. It was all about what they can grab financially oh, no. at the moment. But you asked for the charges to be dismissed claiming that the Trump administration had prosecuted you simply to protect Trump against congressional investigations. But a federal judge rejected this claim as conspiracy theory. What happened next? Uh, Basically, I went to trial. I mean, you know, uh, uh, I can't fault the judge. Uh, You know, the judge made his ruling. And uh, I I believe uh, until this day that my judge was a very good judge. And, you know, he's a very fair judge. I think at the end, uh, if they would have opened up that can of worms, there would have, there would have been too big of a mess for the whole uh, the whole Justice Department. The whole I mean, there were too many people involved, Michael, as you know, starting from Bill Barr and going all the way down. So I mean, it would have been you know we wanted to subpoena Bill Barr's records, phone records, to see who he spoke to, when he spoke to them about my arrest, and who allowed anything to happen. So I you know it would have been a whole can of worms, and I I, I think that. Uh, uh, there was other reasons why that was uh, uh, decided on uh, on to do the way it was, but at the end of the day, you know, I decided to go to trial because I wanted everything to be heard. Because I, like I said, you know, what I did wrong, I did wrong. You know, I might have done done some th- wrong things in my life, but there was no way I was trying to, you know, collude with any Russians or try to get rid of any ambassadors or try to go, you know, uh, against my country. As far as I was thinking, I was fucking thinking I was a patriot, thinking I'm working, you know, for this idiot, the president of the United States. I mean, <laughs> you, you got to understand. You, you, you understand what I I'm talking about. I mean, do. the guy's the president of the United States. He, he, how, how do you think that he's going to go do something so crazy? You think that some kind of buffers in place. But then I realized that it, Trump destroyed all the buffers. There was no buffers. It was basically, uh, I mean, the, the crazy part is we were the, uh, the shadow diplomacy team that was working in it. We were called the BLT team. It was me, Rudy Giuliani, John Solomon, the, uh, the what's it called, journalist, and Victoria and Joe Tunzi. I mean, that was the team. When Trump would go on TV and say, people say, or I've heard people say, he was talking about us, basically. 
That's the crazy part. <laughs> you know, he wouldn't listen to his security national advisors. He wouldn't listen to Bolton. He would listen to Pompeo. You know how many times I've seen uh, Rudy and Pompeo go at it about the ambassador? I have text messages where Rudy tried to tell, sends me a text message saying to, to me, I, Trump fired her four times and she's still there. What do we have to do, take her out? I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, you know what I'm saying to you? So, yeah. So let me ask you this. When you yeah, watch Trump yeah. talking on national television to President Zelensky, what were your thoughts? I mean, did you ever imagine that Trump would be impeached for interfering with Ukraine? I mean, you know, at that time, I was still drinking the Kool-Aid. Yep. So uh, I, I was uh, I was still on Team Trump. And I really believe that they had me believe that the things that were going on in Ukraine were so corrupt going back to the Clinton era. And so and that George Soros put in all these ambassadors and all of this was going on and that, the, you know, that it was I mean, just the, the conspiracy theories on top of conspiracy theories. And I was really drinking the Kool-Aid. So, yeah, that you got to understand that phone call that Trump had, the supposed perfect phone call. I'm the one that set up that phone call. I was sitting there when Kurt Volker walked into the Trump International Hotel and sat down with me and Rudy begging for uh, us to uh, set up, for Rudy to call up Trump to set up the call with Zelensky because Zelensky's dying to have that call set up because Trump wouldn't even pick up his calls. So, and then I was there with Rudy in, in Spain when he met up with uh, Yermak, uh, who is now the chief, uh, chief of staff to Zelensky. And at that time, they met up that was trying to, you know, work out all that. So I was there on every single angle of that whole situation. And I was uh, basically, I couldn't believe the pressure uh, that they were putting on Zelensky. And I also can't believe that he withstood it. I mean, the man's a fucking hero. Because, I mean, I can't even imagine that, you know, uh, I thought he was going to fold several times. I mean, he had he was approached by Trump. He was approached by Pence. He was approached even by Bolton. I mean, he was approached by uh, Secretary of Energy Perry, who went to his uh, inauguration that nobody knows that he called me and Rudy while he was on the plane flying there because Trump sent him there. And he didn't know what to talk about. So he calls me and Rudy. We're in Paris. Rudy puts him on speaker and he goes, what do I speak to this fucking guy about? And Rudy's like, the most important thing is he better do a fucking investigation on Hunter and Joe Biden. Otherwise, there's nothing to speak to him. So, I mean, it was it was nonstop pressure. I mean, and for the guy to withhold, I mean, uh, I I give him the utmost credit. Did you ever testify before Congress? And you could tell. uh, No, I didn't get a chance. You never got the chance. Too bad. uh, they, They, yeah. I mean, and I was, I wanted to testify in front of, they, they didn't call the witnesses. I was one of the witnesses that they wanted to call. It was me and Bolton that they wanted to call when the Senate basically didn't call the witnesses for the impeachment. Huh. I, out of the 300 articles uh, of impeachment against Trump, there's over 100 of them. There are my uh, evidence that I've given to the House Intelligence Committee to to show about that. It's really amazing. It's crazy. Let me fail this years then. Do you think that the war in Ukraine would be going on right now if Trump hadn't lionized Putin and disavowed our own intelligence agencies? Absolutely not. I mean, that's what that's the most sickening part about what transpired, because what he did was, I mean, it was a combination of things that Trump did that allowed Putin. Putin's been wanting to do this for the past 25 years, try to take over Ukraine and all of the ex-Soviet Union countries and, uh, and get the great Russian power Soviet Union back together. But he could never do that because uh, Ukraine had an incredible relationship with America and the United States. And then no matter who the president was, Republican or Democrat, we always had support for Ukraine and we, there was always a, a good relationship. When Trump came into office, the first thing he did is he embarrassed Zelensky. He wouldn't give him a meet, uh, wouldn't let him come to the, uh, the the White House. 
He took away their military aid. He then uh, simultaneously, he tried to dismantle NATO. So all of these were signs for Putin to say, wait a second, you know, nobody's going to do a single thing. And one of the most craziest part that a lot of people don't realize they, that they gave Putin the go ahead that uh, they see when Zelensky was at the White House, if you look, if you remember, Michael, and if you look back to it, when Zelensky was at the White House, finally made it to the White House after that perfect phone call, whatever, and they finally were there. Trump turns around to Zelensky and says, listen, I spoke to President Putin and you guys have to make up. You know, you got to figure this thing out. You gotta, and Zelensky just fell, fell back on the chair like, what the fuck just happened? You know, he basically, I mean, that that's unheard of. You know, he's telling you, Zelensky's telling you that we're at war with this guy. He's trying to take over our country. He's trying to, he's killing our people. And he's telling him, you got to figure it out. You got you should meet with Putin and you guys got to figure it out. You know what I mean? So, and then the final thing to, that really allowed Putin to do it was what he did at the insurrection on January 6th. Because what happened was, is our country was in a disarray. We were in a transition stage. We didn't have a government or a president in place. Trump, we had our own concerns with the insurrection he pulled. And if you took a look, take a look at the timeline, that's when actually Putin started a little bit earlier, but that's when he amassed the most troops on the border. See, I think Putin, to be, honest, later, you left, February, to be honest, I think that I think that Putin made that decision right after Helsinki, right after Trump got up and he basically shit all over oh, yeah. our intelligence <laughs> agencies saying, you know what? I believe him. The guy said it strongly, and yeah. so I believe him. By the way, that speaking of which, with all this crap that goes on, and the, I have, you know, I, I, when I think about Trump and all the shit that he did as president, and I'm so disgusted the fact that I supported him, I was so loyal to him for over a decade. When I was sitting in the, uh, what do you call it, the television room, the visitation room, and there was the big picture of. Trump sitting there right next to Bill Barr, followed down by Petrucci, the warden, and then the guy who was the Northeast. I swear a hundred times I wanted to fucking throw a shoe at it. So let me then ask you this. Was that still up there or did they put Biden's picture up? No, they, they put yeah, Biden's picture that down. Yeah. Finally, DeLeo and Gulliver did something. So let me ask you a question. What, in your opinion, are Ukraine's chances against um, against Putin and Russia? And what more should the United States, if anything, be doing to help Ukraine to win this war? Uh, I think uh, their chances are really good. I think uh, with with the help of the United States and the NATO allies, and if we continue to support them and continue to give them the uh, weapons that they need and the support they need, I think they have an ex extremely good chance of kicking Putin's ass. Uh, the only fear that I have, and I think the whole world has, is this, he's a maniac. And, you know, when he gets his uh, ass kicked, what does he do with his nuclear weapons? And that's the only, you know, scary part of it. But in an all-out war and fight, I mean, they're kicking his ass right now. My cousin right now is in Ukraine on the front line, uh, helping with humanitarian aid that I've been trying, been working on. So, I mean, the the... It's the, the, the resolve the Ukrainian people have is just incredible. I mean, the, the Putin, I mean, can't win this fight as long as we continue. I mean, remember the, the recording that was leaked when me and Trump were sitting there having dinner and Trump asked me, he goes, how long would Ukraine last in a fight uh, without Ukraine? So without our help, not long. They need our help. And that's why he understood that uh, mm -hmm. the help. So, I mean, if we continue giving it that, and that's what pisses me off when you hear Matt Gates and McCarthy and all these fucking buffoons talking about, let's stop the aid and Majority Green, you know, let's stop giving Ukraine money. They have no fucking idea what they're talking about. They don't know what's going to happen when, if, if, if God forbid Ukraine goes down, we're, we're going to live in a different world whatsoever. Ukraine right now is fighting not just for themselves, but they're fighting for the rest of the world. 
I mean, they're basically right now in an all-out fight with one of the worst human beings, devils out there. Yeah, well, it's crazy. It is, it's, be, it's beyond ludicrous. And, um, you know, I actually tried to go myself to Ukraine to, you know, um, to help out. And I tried to get through with the Red Cross. They turned me down. <laughs> so then I tried to go through Poland, right? <laughs> you know, claiming my father was, uh, is Polish, you know, from birth. And they turned me down, yeah. too. <laughs> they didn't want me either, right? So let me ask you this, because you said <laughs> in a recent Time Magazine article, and I quote, I concluded that my real job, meaning with Rudy, was to help undermine and right. destabilize the Ukrainian government. You were not aware that you were being yep. used by the Trump administration for that purpose. That's the impression that I got. Absolutely. Is that true? You weren't aware? That's one, that, that's 100% true. I mean, at that point, I thought that the government of Ukraine at that time was corrupt. I thought the way I was being explained, the, the, the way I was being told by Trump and Giuliani and everybody in the... And that circle of uh, people around them is that they that they were corrupt, that they were, uh, you know, trying to go against Trump and go against the United States and that all they cared about was stealing money. So uh, that w that's why I was under the impression that we needed to get what get that things done that uh, that they he pushed me to do to get Biden's information and all of that stuff. But after, you know, getting some time and really realizing exactly what was going on, I realized what they were actually doing is they were really you know, destabilizing the government of Ukraine. I mean, they turned the president into nothing. You know, they were trying to take away military aid. Uh, they were t trying to take away, I mean, not trying to, he actually did take away the military aid, uh, you know. And uh, to do that, it put them in such a position. And we got to understand another thing, Michael. Ukraine was already at a war at that time, mm -hmm. even though it was not a war we were talking about, but they were fighting in certain areas uh, for their land that Russia took over already. So they were already in a constant war. So when uh, Trump took away their uh, military aid, that basically put such a burden and put such a pressure on the whole Ukrainian government and the Ukrainian people that they were in disarray. I mean, I can't even tell you what they were going through. I mean, I met with uh, uh, Zelensky's people, I remember back in May, when uh, that whole Giuliani was supposed to go visit him and then he canceled the trip. I was down there in Ukraine waiting for Giuliani and I was the surrogate that had to go speak to them. And one of the things that, you know, the message they made me pass along was that if they don't make that investigation, not only will they have no military aid, that uh, Pence, who was supposed to go to the inauguration, wouldn't go. And this was May 12th. Well, May 13th, they get a call saying Pence is involved. Yeah, but Lev, <laughs> you're off in Paris, you're off in Spain, you're off in Ukraine meeting with Zelensky and Poroshenko and this one and that one. You know that you weren't working for the United States government, right? You're, you're a citizen. You know, there are, obviously, I'm sure somebody <laughs> right. must have said to you, you realize that you're acting as a foreign agent. I mean, that whole thing just sounds, you know, me... All I did is an N is an NDA <laughs> in order to stop a woman from talking about you know no. from pulling the president's mushroom pecker and describing it. I mean, it's a totally different world. And I got well. So look, let oh, me ask you this because I found another quote in the Time article and I found it very interesting. And I quote: "Some have said that Putin has compromising information on Trump." regarding money laundering or prostitutes, but those theories are promoted by people who did not, you know, they just didn't know Trump well. 
I personally, and I've testified to it before the entire world, at the, not just one time, but eight different times, I never saw evidence yeah. of that kind. All right? Neither did you. Exactly. So you tell me what Neither your opinion I. of the Steele dossier, and then, of course, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> uh, and then the tell Steel me what you know about Christopher uh, Steele. Tell me what you heard or, you know, well, really, any inside info. I mean, I really don't know. I don't know too much about Christopher Steele, but uh, I think uh, definitely uh, uh, there's a lot of people in politics and they're running around. They try to pull, do their own thing. And I think the Steele dossier was a lot, a lot of bullshit that was that that didn't make sense with a, you had a lot of some truth, some bullshit, some truth, some bullshit. And it was all mixed up and together to make it. Uh, uh, and that's what made me also believe that Trump was being targeted at the time, because, uh, you know, from everything I knew, I knew that Trump. Didn't, wasn't that involved with Putin, didn't have that type of a relationship with them at the time, and the things were that not going on. So I think that was a, a bunch of bullshit between me and you. Yeah. So let me just really quickly tell you my opinion of Christopher Steele and the dossier. Yeah. Christopher Steele's a fucking jerk-off. I think he's a fucking moron <laughs> and a half. He's a lying sack of shit. Every allegation, 11, <laughs> he brought 11 allegations against me. Literally, uh, and not just me, also one against my, my in-laws claiming that my father-in-law is the biggest real estate developer in Moscow and that we own, as a family, we own a dacha next to Putin in Sochi. My father-in-law, like I think yourself, Ukrainian. In fact, my father-in-law has never been to Moscow. Yeah, and he's never been to Sochi. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing. I've never been to Prague. I never paid compromats. I was in yeah. L.A. at the time. Ooh. And the saddest part is that the FBI knew it. And the FBI, because they were told not to say anything, to stand down and let it keep going, because somehow somebody inside that inner circle, maybe you overheard something, thought that this would help Trump to deflect away from this whole Russian collusion, delusion, and whatever else he wanted to call it, witch hunt. But I do want to ask you this. In your opinion, should Giuliani be prosecuted for his numerous crimes? And if so, for what? What would you put him away for? I mean, I think Giuliani did a lot of criminal things, you know, and that's crazy. I mean, Giuliani lives his life as a gangster. It's so funny for, for, for with his history and background of being a, his top prosecutor. I mean, he talk, he quotes more out of the Godfather scenes than anybody else I've ever heard of. He admires the, the guys he put away. He respects them. He thinks they were real men. I mean, it's it's funny to listen and talk to him when you're really close to him and understand where his thinking is. And the way he does things, I mean, the way he was dealing with Ukraine was like basically a gangster. I mean, he was racketeering them. He was manipulating them. He was pushing them. He was extorting them. And then to make, you know, so, I mean, you could, there's a, a bunch of crimes you could put them away for. And then especially what he did with the election. I mean, that was completely fucking off the wall. I mean, he I don't know what what pill he took or what he was drinking or what he was doing. I mean, to be able to go out there and and in front of uh, all of these officials and, and, and tout that this election was stolen and that there were, you know, votes being brought in. I mean, if he doesn't get prosecuted in Georgia, I mean, that's the last chance I guess there is. I mean, everywhere else he got off scot-free. So if he doesn't get prosecuted in Georgia, then I, I mean, I, that's just fucking going to be ridiculous. I really believe he's going to, uh, uh, has to get indicted in Georgia for what he did. Yeah, well, I will tell you one thing. From what I remember reading somewhere, I think his uncle and his brother 
were both um, organized crime guys, which is very, very interesting that they would be looking at me. My father's a head and neck reconstructive, retired now, head and neck reconstructive surgeon, ENT. (laughs) My mom, a surgical nurse. My uncle, a doctor, right? My other uncle, a lawyer. You know, my grandfather was a pharmacist. I mean, you know, for God's sakes, what are you talking about organized crime? You know, I didn't know that they had organized crime in Bochnia, Poland, or, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's so stupid. Okay, so look, Lev, the hour goes by very quickly here on Mea Culpa. You know, we could have a lot of fun talking about, you probably, you know, yeah. took a shower at Otisville in the shower that I built, uh, the one that's in the second uh, off area that had this sit-down uh, concrete, you know, stool in it and so on. Uh, yeah, I built, built it. it. I sure you, did. You yeah, this. I did. I put the gates up there, too. Uh, I painted the whole place. You know, with the with the gray at the bottom, I painted the whole place by myself. So, look, I want to finish this off and ask you on a personal note. Towards the end of your time with Rudy, did he seem to you to be losing it? I mean, did you see signs of whether it's dementia or is it alcoholism? I mean, look, if you were with him at the Trump uh, Hotel in D.C., he started in the morning with Chardonnay and finished it up with Scotch or bourbon, mostly Scotch. I mean, Scotch, it was like, yeah. I mean, Scotch, he must have had, Scotch, he must have had like, what do they call it? A, uh, a hollow leg with all the alcohol going in him. I, sometimes I couldn't believe he was even standing. What I mean is, do you think that, do you think that, that Rudy's yeah. mental health issues had something to do with this incredible fall from grace? Once considered America's mayor, now considered the fucking laughing stock of the world. You know, the crazy part, Michael, I don't think he looked at that he was the fall from grace because when you're in Trump world and when you're in the Trump International and you stick to those players, you don't see any of that. I mean, the reporting is different. The people are different. He walks in, he, you know, people still want to shake his hand, take pictures. So he didn't look as a fall from grace. I think mm. he definitely has dementia. I think he definitely, is, uh, you know, his alcoholism is, is, is terrible. I mean, like you said, he starts either with a Chardonnay or a Bloody Mary and finishes off with scotches at 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. And then he He's up at five yep. to do the different shows and, uh, you know, smokes a bunch of cigars one after the other in, in filthy cigar rooms. And, you know, he's on medicine. I mean, the guy I seen him, he has like, you know, 20 different pills that he takes. God knows what he's taking. So when you do that combination of all this medicine and, you know, he's not a young guy anymore. I mean, he's in his late 70s. So with all of that combination, I mean, I, I saw him. Put it this way, uh, I've, I've stopped more butt dials and I've had to, <laughs> I, I used to run around with his phones and grab him and, and because once he would be uh, off the handle, the tie would be untied and he would give a shit and he started, you know, drooling and slobbering and uh, the shit that would and come out of his mouth. yelling at people. I've watched and, him yell you know, at the staff. Yelling. Oh, yeah. yeah. Terrible. Yeah, no, he he just get he he would just get off the wall, and then you know the guys that were you know his security personnel that would have to watch out over him, the poor guys would have to then try to you know get him out of there and get him to his room or something like that, and then watching him try to manage three different girlfriends at the same time and having all that shit like it it was it was hilarious. I can't even tell you like it, <laughs> it was uh, you know watching back at back then I felt bad for him and sorry, but looking back at now I mean the guy. Uh, First of all, the, you know, he has a problem, I think, his whole life with women. He doesn't know how to act with them. He, I think he, does, he he knows how to properly deal, talk to them or deal with them. So he tries to, you know, impress them by paying off. Like, I remember him taking uh, taking this one woman and her mother uh, to try to impress her because he, even though there were, he had no chance because she was a beautiful girl <laughs> and that, you know, she was just 
you know, liked it, but Rudy just tried to impress her. He took her and her mother to uh, to the funeral of uh, ex-President Bush and then to the White House to meet Trump. And I'll never forget that one. That was a funny one because Trump walks in and go <laughs> and sees the girl and thinks she's with Rudy and he comes right up to her and he goes, whoa, who is this uh-huh. one? And you see <laughs> Melania in back of him smack. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, whoa, like, my God, you're up. beautiful. Yeah. Whoa, is this, your, <laughs> is this your sister? And he's talking to the mother. He's such yeah. a schmuck. Anyway, listen, Lev, let <laughs> me thank you. By the way, yeah. if in fact you come up and you find any documents that have my name in it, uh, I would certainly love to see him or talk to you about it. If by chance you remember anything that was said by Ivanka, Jack, by Don Jr., Eric, Rudy Kaludi, um, you know, Bill Barr, any of those sort of stuff. My, I still have my lawsuit pending against the United States government, which is on par with the same issue that I hate to say that you kind of have, you know, as well. But I'm glad that you're out. Um, hopefully Thank that you. this home and confinement think, will think, be yeah. over for you very, very soon. Um, enjoy. Thank you, you Michael. Know, and just enjoy <laughs> life. And, you know, hopefully everybody in the family is staying enjoy, yeah, together. Just, that's, yeah, I'm just, you know, enjoying my family, you know, put a real bit of pressure on my wife and kids. While I, I know was that down. feeling. My wife, you know, three little kids, you know how it is. And, you know, so I'm blessed to be there and that's what I'm doing. I'm taking time with them and enjoying it, working on my book. You know, I, I think there's going to be some really interesting stuff that's going to come out there. And I think me and you will do another show soon coming up. You know, well, I'll give you some more information where we could really close them closer to the election. Yeah, you, you got it. And again, I'm not <laughs> joking. If you have any of those docs, I'm, I'm, please. I'm going to, I'm, yeah, no, yeah, I'm going to end it off on that one because remember, I'm the one that introduced Ron DeSantis and Trump. Yeah. So I'll leave it at oh, that. Great. You, know, you really need an ass kicking. You be well, my friend. I wish you all the best and I will stay, stay in touch. Okay, love? Thank you. Be well. Bye now. And now for today's mea culpa. Last week, Marina Yankina, a high-level official in Russia's Ministry of Defense who criticized the Kremlin for losses in Ukraine, died after falling from the 16th floor of a St. Petersburg high-rise. Now, she was 58 years old, and she's not the first person to tell the truth to Putin and to pay for it with her life. And she probably won't be the last. Putin is more than a dangerous autocrat. He's a toxic supervillain from the comic books. He is sick and most likely has an unchecked mental illness. To Putin, the truth is like kryptonite. He'll obviously kill to avoid it. I mean, weird that since the war began, somewhere between 500,000 and a million people have fled Russia. And why? Well, it's clearly to avoid him. Now, it's not that Mitch McConnell is someone that we should suddenly trust, but as Republicans go, old Moscow Mitch at least makes some credible sense when he says that, and I quote, the single most important event going on in the world today is Ukraine. And that helping Ukraine now will save our country billions down the line. Now, we all know that that's true. If Ukraine doesn't win, the world order will shift in unimaginable ways. But even though McConnell is the head of his party, that simple statement about Ukraine sent the fucking MAGAs gunning for him. So like Putin, MAGAs can't handle the truth. But I respect Mitch for speaking up and not giving a shit what they have to say about it. Senator John Fetterman checked himself into a hospital last week to receive treatment for clinical depression. 
While John has experienced depression off and on throughout his life, it only became severe in recent weeks, the Senator's Chief of Staff said in a statement. Fetterman, who had a stroke last year, was recently hospitalized after experiencing lightheadedness. And so he admitted himself to Walter Reed and he didn't pull any punches. He just told the truth. He had depression and he's trying to fight it. And that's probably why he got elected. Why? Because he tells the truth. He's real. He's an authentic person, a true leader. And he's more courageous than most people in the public eye, especially politicians. And it's because of him, I just learned that roughly a third of stroke survivors will suffer from depression. Hey, by the way, same thing goes for felons. Most of us suffer from depression as well. Researchers believe that biochemical changes in the brain after a stroke causes changes in mood and personality. Fetterman admitting to his depression has politicians in both parties praising him. For what? For his openness. And why? Because mental health experts say that he is a powerful symbol, especially for men who are less likely to seek treatment for depression and suffer higher rates of suicide. Fetterman was having a hard time eating, sleeping, and making small talk. As a freshman, he's had some trouble adjusting to Congress. He requires significant accommodations, including closed captioning devices to communicate. I mean, that would make almost anyone depressed. But to have to adapt to a new life, particularly if there are impairments, can be real rough. And speaking for myself, I've had significant events occur in my life that have made me angry and sometimes hurt and depressed. I thought my way back was to tell the truth, but writing my last book, Revenge, only served to intensify my pain and my depression. But I'm not afraid to talk about it. Be why? Because this is progress, and it's progress not just for me, but for the country. You see, we've all been told that men aren't supposed to talk about their feelings, but that's changing. Not too long ago, we had Sadhguru on the show, and he said something that stuck with me. He said, Michael, responsibility is simply our ability to respond to whatever life throws at us. Fetterman's ability to respond to his depression will probably save a lot of lives. And I think my commitment to telling the truth has probably saved mine. And I will continue time and time again to continue to make sure that those who are guilty of their own dirty deeds are held accountable, as have I. And more importantly, as always, thanks for listening. Mayor Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth. This is my mea culpa. Oh, baby, don't lie for me.
Yeah.